Live from Guttercat Studios in the Metaverse, it's time for another episode of the Crazy About Crypto Show. And now here's your host, Crazy Carl. Hey yo, what is going on? Thanks for everyone that's already in the spaces. And if you're listening to the podcast, hello from all around the world. And welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. Today's guest is an insanely talented actor that has been featured on shows like Queen of the South and CBS's SEAL Team. He is also the creator of an incredible spoken word short film called Break the Bars that has been minted as an NFT on Maker's Place. He has become an extremely active member of the NFT community, even being featured in Forbes for his NFT film. It's my honor to share the stage today with the extremely talented David Beyond. What is going on, David? Woot woot! Here we are. I, you know, I, I, I want to applaud you, man, for giving me the opportunity to talk about crypto. Like I said earlier before we started, like crazy about crypto is absolutely what I am. I should do like a used car salesman commercial. I'm crazy about crypto. Get it now. Get it now. Buy now. Buy now. Get your NFT. Block my block. Block my block. Yes, yes. Hype this room up. You hype me up at talking about crypto, and you were just talking about uh, meeting someone at a bar in, in a, uh, what was it, airline, uh, an airport bar, and you were trying to talk to them about crypto. This, this is literally yesterday. I was in the Vancouver airport, and I'm you know, just grabbing a bite before my next flight. I'm sitting there and had a conver- casual conversation with a woman sitting next to me, and she works in luxury brands, lives in Chicago, whatever, whatever. But within 15 minutes of the conversation, I'm talking about NFTs and crypto. That's how crazy I am about crypto. Like I'm so I'm so enthusiastic about this. I literally want like everybody to know. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. But- and I love it. That's why I named the show that. And because NFTs, a lot of people when they hear about NFTs, it all goes back into crypto. It's all about the ecosystem. It's all about blockchain. All of this technology, even though you may enter, you know, from Top Shot, you may know nothing about what NFTs is because you just have a nice user interface on the front side. But as you continue to learn more about what's going on, you start learning about the blockchain then you start learning about DeFi, and then you start learning about everything that's tied in and all the intersection that starts to occur with this new ecosystem so i just love the passion that you bring when it comes to the name of the show because it was definitely um on purpose that it, it didn't have just nft in the name because it's all encompassed into this this new world of crypto and blockchain technology yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, you you just nailed it on the head. I mean, everything is so intermeshed and to a certain degree interdependent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and there's so many different you know nooks and corners of the crypto ecosystem when you start to get in. Like some guys are devs and you know and don't collect. Some guys are fine art collectors and aren't devs. Some guys are fine art collectors and don't buy PFPs. Some people are PFPs and don't buy fine art. You know, it's like yeah. there's all these little like nooks and crannies within our community. Um, but nonetheless, you know, all waters raise the tide. Yep, exactly. And it's incredibly important that even if we just plant seeds of consciousness in the normies out in the world, it will serve the broader purpose, which is to make NFTs um, and cryptocurrency and the blockchain expansive at a at a global adoption level, which will only get which is only going to make 
Yeah, I could not agree more, and I'm so excited that you're here, too. You cut out there for a second, but I wanted to take a step back, too, and just have you um, start with us by, I always ask the same question to my guests on the show, which is just a chat about your journey into the crypto and NFT space, whichever came first. If you first got into crypto and then learned about NFTs, just talk to us a little bit about your journey about becoming so passionate and hyped about this space. Well, I appreciate that. Um. Yeah, it's um I think my journey is probably similar to most, you know, you you buy you buy cryptocurrency and then you sort of start to understand uh, the blockchain. So I I started buying cryptocurrency crash and you know at one point, you know, I was like head in my hands in my bed. I think I was in the fetal position. What have I done with my life and my money? You know, um <laughs> but uh, you know, you get used to the ebbs and flows and now I look at the stock market and I I'm just like pussies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um so from there, I really I started to trust the blockchain, and that was really what I think was the biggest um, bridge for me to be onboarded into NFTs. So, flash forward to um, late March, I said March 2021, I started to see the boom in NFTs. I was first drawn by the 69 million dollar sale at Christie's by Beeple because I've been following Beeple crap for many many years. In fact, I almost bought one of his digital pieces when he was selling his LED screens for 2500 bucks. Yeah. But I but I didn't know anything about NFTs. I was like, mm. I even talked to my girlfriend. I was like, "Oh, 2500 bucks." Like, she said, "This seems like a lot of money for like a, <laughs> a, a like a moving and screen." And now they're like a $100,000 for. Oh my god. I'm like I literally do kick butts every day, you know, but as I started to discover this 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 NFT ecosystem, I started reading up on it. It was easier for me because I understood the technology. But being an actor and a filmmaker um, and also globally known as a spoken word poet, I've been televised all over the country and I've competed in national slams, you know, decades ago. And it's an art form that is really, really part of my DNA. I've mm. been involved with the rhyming of words for as long as I can talk um, and was a battle rapper for many years. And then I got into spoken word when I got to college. But um, with all those disciplines that are David Bianchi, I've done, I, I'm also a fine artist. I've done gallery exhibits in Scottsdale and Beverly Hills and, and Tempe and, and different parts of the country. Um, but I'm not identified as that in the public space. You know, people know me as this guy who makes poetry films, right? So in 2004, I made my first experimental short film told entirely in poetry called Soldier, which is an outcry against the American occupation of Iraq and the Bush administration. Mm -hmm. So that was when I produced my first piece of Spinema, but I didn't know it was that back then. And so for anyone that's listening, Spinema is an art genre that I created that means spinning cinema through spoken word. So these are basically high concept theatrical experiences told entirely in poetry that for the most part discuss, you know, socially political themes, socially conscious themes, etc. So having looked at the NFT space, I was like, how can I enter this space? Because I'm not really like a, a 3D or 4D render artist. I didn't really want to like mint my paintings yet or my 35 millimeter pictures yet. But at that point, I needed to figure out how I was going to be introduced to it. So I started tinkering around. I spent a bunch of ETH buying a bunch of dum-dums and, uh, you know, found a platform that allowed for 250 megabytes on the mint. And I was like, whoa. I didn't realize that was possible back in April. That I was like, Rarible was 50 megabytes. OpenSea, I think, was 50 at the time. And it just seemed like an impossibility. So then I I just came up with this idea. I was like, what if I minted I Can't Breathe? 
let me see if I can do that. And let me see if I can make this thing work. And I had no idea really what I was doing. I was going into rooms like nfts.tips and asking 101 questions and just sort of like, you know, literally like blind, just touching the walls. Um, that's where I met my attorney, Ali Sasagi, who's on stage right now uh, through Clubhouse. And that's where I discovered my wherewithals, which was in Clubhouse. And so I minted the first spoken word film, Spinema film, as an NFT called I Can't Breathe. And by sheer amounts of hustle, massive amounts of DM, incredible amounts of marketing, it ended up getting the attention of Paula Moreno um, and Noah and Farouk and Wolf. And they were just like, this is incredible. And so that piece ended up blowing up and it successfully auctioned to Veritas at Metapurse. And at the time I didn't realize who Metapurse was. I didn't know who Metacoven was until I did my due diligence after the fact. Um, and so from there, in an unprecedented move, I, I chose to donate 100% of those proceeds to the George Floyd Memorial Foundation because the piece was basically my soliloquy of losing, uh, my soliloquy of pain post the murder of George Floyd in the shadow of the largest civil rights movement in global history. So that was basically my genesis. And then from there, I'm an artist first. I make money as an actor and as a filmmaker now as a crypto artist, but I'm an artist first. I always identify as an artist first. I'm a multi-hyphenate artist. I, I'm what they call a, I'm a renaissance nigga. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, I have a lot of disciplines about me and I take my work incredibly seriously. And I'm aware of the weight that I carry. I'm aware of what it means to create work that is in tune with the work that I create. And when I Can't Breathe blew up and then Forbes wrote about the piece and then I realized I could give thousands of dollars to charity. My brain went nuclear, and I saw the limitless potential. If anybody's ever seen The Matrix, there's that scene in the original Matrix where Keanu Reeves sees the green code for the first time. And that's kind of how I felt. Um, I cried so much during those clubhouse rooms reading that poem, I Can't Breathe, and the, 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 the energy that was reciprocated as a result of that, and, and the George Floyd... Um, I should say the, the, the trial was going on at the time and it was a very uh, important conversation and people were so genuinely touched. And that's when I realized that this is limitless. And from that moment on, I went in head first and here we are. Well, I love one, a couple of things that you chatted about, but more towards the end, you really talked about the power of this new community that's being formed in terms of being able to uh, focus more on your talent of the art that you want to produce and, and that you're passionate about and brings you joy and sorrow and all of your emotions to be able to be unleashed. And, you know, working as an entertainer, a lot of times you have to uh, do as you are directed and you have to, you have to, you know, meet certain criteria and you have to work to get certain gigs. And so uh, this new platform that is blockchain, it opens up so much more. It allows you to be able to create what you want to create. And we've talked a lot about that on this show. And it sounds like that is similar uh, in your experience of creating such conviction is being able to, you know, as, finally, as an artist, being able to direct your own films, being able to do what you're passionate about and what you love, and be able to find the people in this community that uh, have, find that similar passion that you then can connect with as well. 100%. Um, the, the freedom that NFTs and crypto offers is, it literally is like a binding of the bondage of 
societal self, right? Because I think we have our, our artistic selves, but then we have our societal selves and our societal selves are the secretary during the day, the bartender at night, the, the bouncer at night, the, you know, the, the cocktail waitress or, you know, the accountant, that's your societal self. If you're an artist and then you have your artistic self and not before NFTs were the artistic selves ever able to sort of be as rich as they are now, not just fiscally, but emotionally, spiritually free. Because when you can break free from your societal self and say, I quit my job, I'm an NFT artist, I am a full-time self-sustaining artist, there is a emotional, spiritual liberty that takes you over as a human being that gives you renewed purpose. Mm -hmm. And it makes you want to dive into this community that have get, that has given you so much fertilizer to give you this literally this embryo of a new life. Because before residual pay that the smart contract allows for, before passive income for secondary sales for artists, you know, absorbing some money on the primary sale and being self-sustaining was very, very difficult to do. Historically, very, very few artists have ever done it. But now we are in a, 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 an environment that NFTs is a Petri dish, for lack of a better metaphor, to just sprout and sprout and sprout a, 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 a fully functional, sustainable living for artists. Mm -hmm. And it's mind-blowing. And I think that's why we're so hungry for it. Because we, inside of this community, realize how, how booming it is, how important it is, but on the other side of it, how fragile it is. So I think that's why we take it so seriously. Yeah, and, and another thing that you had mentioned towards the beginning of that first answer, too, was talking about being in the crypto market uh, back in 2017, which a lot of people in this new, in uh, we've onboarded hundreds of thousands of people just in the last year into the space because of NFTs. But when I love talking to people that have been in the space a little longer, I also got in around 2017 because it also felt a lot more lonely. You were having to do your own research, you had to read ICOs, you had to try and figure out what projects were going to be massive, what, what had potential. And then, like you said, there was the ups and downs, and you never really felt like that sense of community to go to in those moments besides maybe some discords. But at, at the end of the day, it just it felt like we were building something in those days but it wasn't it wasn't that community that sense of community that we have now that even if you're not a developer even if you don't understand the code or the tech uh, or even the financial aspect you can still get involved into crypto and blockchain and so i love to for you to kind of explain the evolution because it seems like the passion and the conviction that you have now is starting to sprout a lot more from the nft movement because now you can give and that's something that I loved. I always wanted I applied to several places when in 2018 and 19 projects I was passionate about but I didn't have any skills that they needed, but now it's like everyone can find where they belong and can add value in this space and it just makes it so much more purposeful for everyone involved when we have the NFT space and continue uh, continue to find new innovations to have people find their place in this ecosystem. Yes, uh, uh, I agree with you 100%. And, and, and Carl, you are going to be in everybody that stays in this in this community is going to be so in demand in the next four to six to eight to 12, 24 months, because we're developing grassroots skill sets that the outer atmosphere has no idea how to do and are hungry for. 
You know, I mean, even if you think of like, look at the grand scheme, like look at the, the big brothers, look at Zuckerberg creating a metaverse. Okay, cool. These big, big, big overarching companies will come in and stomp their feet around in the metaverse, but they don't know what's going on at the community level. They don't know what's going on with the trends. And so they don't know what is shaping the wind in the community and they will invariably have to reach out to people like crazy carl to david bianchi to huda to ali to ask the questions about what is going to work for them because when you're floating around in the clouds you have no idea what the people want mm -hmm. right yeah. and so yeah. the skill sets that you've developed ultimately are going to create long-term wealth for you and my conviction and my um inspiration in this space is because i really get to do exactly that i get to work from a place of inspiration i say this often that movies or ideas, or even avatar drops, whatever it is that you're creating, they're not made with money, they're made with inspiration. Money follows inspiration, okay? And that, I think, is, is, is consistent across all disciplines, whether it's marketing, you know, whether it's finance, whenever you're an entrepreneur, it always starts with inspiration. And when I get to work with inspiration, it gives me purpose. It makes me fire out of bed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Because when I'm an actor, and I'm on SEAL Team, for example, or I'm on Queen of the South, or, you know, I'm actually, I'm going to start shooting a new show in Vancouver um, called Resident Alien. And I'm grateful for this work. But, you know, with all due respect, I do their lines. I hit their marks. I follow their, their, their paintbrushes, as it were. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful to be uh, uh, an important piece of their puzzle, right? But when I come in here, I get to really speak from my authentic voice. Mm -hmm. I get to speak about topics that matter to me and topics that I think are important to the world. Um, it's also whether, you know, hook or crook or, or God's work or not, I seem to be one of the only people in the NFT space as an NFT crypto artist that is creating the kind of work that I'm creating, not just from a spinema or spoken word perspective. I think I'm pretty singular in terms of what I'm creating in spinema, but from a social consciousness perspective as well. I don't see many artists, and I may be mistaken, but I've done a lot of digging. I don't. I, I think I'm one of the only ones that's creating socially conscious work at this high of a level in the NFT space. And and I'm grateful that this community has embraced my work, um, has found value in it, and sees the provenance in my work, because that's the stuff that inspires me, and that's why I'm so lit up. Because I'm, I'm literally like Gary Vee. Like I, I, I don't see limits with what we can do. And with the disciplines that are David Bianchi, film performer, writer, filmmaker, et cetera, film is very, very, very untapped. And that's, as, that's a result of the technological hurdles that the blockchain unfortunately offers, you know, mm -hmm. with low capacities on the on-chain mint. So because of that, you know, there's no room for feature filmmakers yet. Um, there is definitely room for short filmmakers. I have proven that, um, but also what kind. And so I'm really, really excited to be sort of trailblazing, not just in socially conscious NFTs, but trailblazing in cinema in the blockchain. You know, that's also very important to me. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I definitely want to talk on that more because you are uh, definitely an advocate. It's definitely apparent from the moment I reached out to you. You were I just had DM'd you to see if you may be interested, and you were extremely kind and wanted to chat, and even so much you were active in trying to figure out a time to schedule and DMing me back uh, when I hadn't responded in a, in a couple hours. And so it really meant a lot that you were excited to come on the show and that you just uh, that you had just learned about 
about you. I don't think uh, you had knew about my show prior, but it, it really made me see how you walk around and about the space because you are you're getting started, but you're so passionate and you want to share the word and you want to get on to any platform. And I think that's so important um, in this space is like building that community, finding even just a few people that maybe didn't know about you before and at the end of the day, you talk about, you know, the kind of the social consciousness that goes into your work. And I think it is a very important one because there's so many people that need to hear it. But then when they hear your voice and your passion and where that drive comes from, it, it, it allows you to kind of take it to another level, which just goes to show the importance of Web3 and kind of these new interactions that we can create beyond just minting something and letting it sit. But I'd love to hear kind of your journey in terms of minting a uh, short film and just kind of what you think is possible on the blockchain going forward with things like media. Because I love that you keep saying yet because it's so true, because it's just a matter of time until there's, you know, a new innovation to allow these things on, you know, uh, sub chains or, you know, things that can handle more capacity. And so I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on where, you know, these types of uh, media outlets are going to continue to go in the future. And even just starting with yours, the experience that you've had with minting a short film and kind of the, the empowerment and purpose behind that. Well, thank you for saying all that, man. I, I really do appreciate it. And and let's and I do do a lot of diligence. At least I try to. And when when the in, when the invite came to join the show, um, I have spoken in rooms where there's ten people in Clubhouse. I've spoken in rooms where there's two thousand people. Or you know, it's like uh, to me, it's all the same. It's communicating ideas of inspiration, motivation, technological innovation, and artistic change. And if I can do that at a small level, great. If I could do that at a big level, great. And, you know, let's not get it twisted and not to, you know, don't be so humble, my brother. Like you're talking to Hackatow. Like, you know, you're, you, you're, you have some very, very influential people in this space. So the fact that I could even be a part of your lineup to me um, is really, really humbling. And I'm very, very grateful. Um, as it relates to the yet, I have to say yet because none of us really, really know. And I do believe that if we look at some of the futurists and some of the technologists that are envisioning what our future is going to look like, the metaverse is a guaranteed intervention in everyday societal, um, interpersonal and public life. It's, an, it's, it's inevitable. I was literally driving to the air, from the airport yesterday listening to Fox News because I like to pay attention to both sides. And they were talking about Mark Zuckerberg and I literally heard a Fox News commentator use metaverse. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, we're really here. The Matrix is here. <laughs> we're you know? Yeah, and it's so coming. You, yeah, and if you look at movies like Ready Player One, you know, Steven Spielberg is an incredible visionary. If you look at movies like Minority Report, he worked with an incredible team of futurists and a, a team of technologists that were able to envision what society might look like in a future time. And a lot of those things are coming true, retina scanning, facial scanning, and these sorts of things. So if Ready Player One is a model of what our future might look like. Consuming film, media, television, um, and interactive um, experiences in the metaverse, I think, is a guarantee. I almost see that maybe at some point in our future, there'll be a time where um, there will always be a living room, but there might be like meta rooms that mm. will be part of people's homes. It'll just be a room that is designed for you to just escape, right? Mm -hmm. And so if that is true, film, media, and television are guaranteed going to be a part of that process. As far as the minting question is concerned, look, it's been clunky. 
I'm not going to sit here and try to fabricate that. Um, my first mint was, as I mentioned, was I Can't Breathe. The native file was 2K. But there's no way that I can get, that I understood that I can get a 2K file under 250 megabytes. So I, I, I did an export of 960 by 540, and I changed the bit rate down to like 8.5 megabits per second, and I was able to get a fairly lossless image at a reasonable frame size because I wanted a collector to be able to say, hey, I'm acquiring the NFT of this entire film from frame one to frame 8,564 mm-hmm. or however many frames there were. Um, and so, and that's what I've had to do is I've really had to like, you know, run the risk of having not a lossless image for the sake of creating an NFT. Um, and even on platforms like super rare, and I love super rare that I, I, I work very, very closely with those guys. But one of the things that I voiced to them is the 50 megabyte capacity limit. It really does handcuff artists. Now keep in mind, desperation is the mother of creativity. Right. So if you put everybody in the same confines of a small room, they're forced to be creative in the confines of that small room, Mm -hmm. which is really, really interesting, too. Um, But if you look at platforms like, you know, most recently you mentioned Break the Bars, which is my third spin of a film. That piece I've minted on Maker's Place and they gave me 500 megabytes on chain which for me was mind blowing. So I have to digress a little bit because my second NFT spinema film was a piece that I did with Grammy winner and Emmy, Emmy winner, Malcolm Jamal Warner and directed by an Emmy, Emmy nominee, Christopher Falkins called you can't hear me super high concept piece, but I had to mint the one of one on ephemera on one platform. And then I did limited editions on another platform. Mm-hmm. So literally in the marketing of the drop, I was driving people to two different places and it was very clunky, but I mean, we pulled it off. We sold out the drop and it was a great success. But now this time with makers, I was able to do everything in one place. Yeah. So the mother was the one of one. And then I did limited editions all in the same drop page. And then that eventually those conversations evolved into having a metaversal premiere, which is ultimately what happened. I mean, I love it. And it, it, just hearing you talk reminds me of a conversation I had with Micah Johnson when he was on the film. We were talking about Aku's world, you know, and he's doing uh, similar things with short little clips, but he wants, they're going to create a fully produced film. And then, you know, people, token holders and things like this will eventually be able to have certain, uh, r- like, revenue share opportunities. They're the ones that are going to be basically receiving the benefits of the entire production and the film and uh, having first rights and it just reminds me and back to that conversation of talking about how we, as you continue to produce things the the holders of your tokens will be the ones that will be the first to kind of reap the rewards of your success and i think that's such an interesting and cool concept and gives you more purpose and your collectors just more excitement about what you're building because now they have this they have uh you know more of a connection to the entire development in the passion projects that you're involved in. Absolutely, man. And I'm just getting warmed up. You know, um, I have made a decision that probably by the end of the year, anyone uh, anyone who owns a David Bianchi piece, whether it's a limited edition or whatever it is, I'm probably just going to airdrop them something that's, ne- that's never been for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do that. It makes sense to me. Um, and another thing that I like to do is, is create collectibles at a community level as well because if we look at like these the spinema films or these ones of ones you know the ones of ones on super rare uh for the most part most collectors get priced out right um my latest just just went for five eth uh, for a one of one on super rare 
And so when I when I mint uh, a cinema film, because it is an experiential medium, cinema, um, I want it to be experienced at a high level and at you know a high dollar level, but also at a low dollar level. So if you've got two hundred fifty bucks. I want to make it so that you're able to be a part of the movement too. So with Break the Bars, there was the one of one. I did I did 12 limited editions, which were extractions from the film stills that I embellished in After Effects to create motion graphics and create a universe within a still image. Um, those were 0.4. And then I did these beautiful sort of like augmented reality inspired movie posters that I sold for 0.08. Because I, I just thought it needs to be accessible to the community mm-hmm. um, for people that want to be a part of, you know, David Bianchi's work, but can't afford a one of one. Uh, I ended up, in fact, anyone that collected a limited edition from that drop got included into a raffle for a never released one of one from Break the Bars. And I ended up uh, auction uh, doing a raffle and then I airdropped it to a collector, uh, a, a guy in uh in Denmark, I think a really, really nice guy. And he was blown away that he got a one of one. So, um, I was excited to do that. It's just a, it's such a cool thing. I mean, you're also, you can kind of hear when, when you have this like unlimited creative process that goes into this, the creating your work and your passion, it's, uh, it's so cool because you, uh, you almost have to figure out, you have to learn, uh, more dynamics than just minting and creating. And a lot of artists are starting to realize that, but it's an entire ecosystem that you're building around what you do and your passion and, uh, finding the community to continue to uplift you and then you want to uplift them. And it's just so cool to hear, you know, even as an entertainer, someone that's been doing it for, for a decade, you know, talking about the passion that you have and that you want to give back and that you want to continue to build something special because it just, like you said, it unlocks this new world that you, uh, even artists that are entering, I think some have to figure that, that out the hard way about over minting and, you know, reducing prices things like this but it's also as much as it can affect you in a negative way the power of it in a positive way is just as strong because when you create such a strong ecosystem in any sort of way on the blockchain it just comes back to you twofold every time you mint something new yeah i think it absolutely does and you know sometimes people are going to collect sometimes people are just going to pay attention but either way, you're still creating volume for your brand as an artist. And branding is incredibly important. And people tend to lose sight of that. Artists really, really lose sight of branding. Artists lose sight of marketing. They lose sight of the entrepreneurial mindset that is associated with being a self-started person. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, really important component, too, because as more larger organizations let's say for example when tiktok starts jumping into the nft game which they're already doing now you know you've got incredible platforms like one of that are focused on music and then you know you got sotheby's meta and then you've got you know there's stuff going on in the bnb and then on the flow chain and then on polygon and everything else the more and more stuff that enters the ecosystem the better it is but the harder it will be for artists to become seen and so it's really really important that even from any artists that are in the room, even if you're minting work, be loud about your work. Don't be afraid to be loud. Because even if people aren't collecting your work, they're still hearing about you. They're still becoming aware of you. And if you don't believe in your work, how is anybody else going to? 
You really have to know down to your innermost self that what you are birthing into the world is special. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an artist, you are already enough. And okay. if you feel confident, step into it and do it unabashedly. I, I love that you say that. And it is, I think uh, I'd love for you to kind of ex- extrapolate on that a little more because I think that a lot of artists, uh, they, it's just something that I think there is some uh, power struggle or some tension with this subject, because I think when we have artists that are coming to the space and they don't have the the right mindset or they're just trying to create to try to make a quick buck, you see that flopping and failing over and over repeatedly. But at the same time, you also see artists that kind of continue to share why they're doing this, what their vision is, and you can really see it in their soul and that they have conviction uh, about what they're creating and it's a different feel. And so I'd love for you to kind of chat about, you know, finding your direction in this space as well, because I think a lot of people, uh, they get so excited about the potential of this space that then they almost try to go down the wrong path of trying to make a quick buck or just create something uh, and push it on people versus really having conviction because there's a very big difference. Agreed. And I think that, you know, I'm not here for a cash grab. Like I said, and anybody that knows my work knows that to be true. I'm not, so I'm, I'm not, you know, ear deep in the NFT community because I'm here to, to play games. Um, when I made the choice to donate the proceeds from my first drop and continue to donate proceeds. That's because I have a long-term vision of what can and what will be creative. I have very, very big ideas, many of which are already in motion in in the background. Um, I have drops literally scheduled right now through April, 2022. Mm-hmm. Fat, like probably scheduled. Yeah. That about that tight, if not longer um, that I think, Artists need to look at this as a vocation. Now, it doesn't have to be 100% of your time vocation. It could be a 40% of your time a week commitment. It could be a 25% of your time a week commitment. But look at it as a vocation. Look at it as a way to develop friendships, develop relationships, earn equity, be self-sustaining, Um Anyone who is focused on the dollar as an artist is, in my mind, a substitute for substance, mm-hmm. right? Because if we look at entertainment, right, one of the fields I work in, you know, good work as an actor, if you're a great actor, that's synonymous with fame, which is synonymous with wealth, if yeah. you have the right luck that comes your way. Art is the same way. With the way the NFT ecosystem is blowing up, if you are a good artist, Good art will be synonymous with fame in the ecosystem, which eventually will become synonymous with wealth, right? But that means you have to focus on the work first. Focus on the work first. Don't bother yourself with what other people are saying about you or what you think people are saying about you because the truth is people don't think about you that much, no matter who you are. I don't know who I'm talking to. But oftentimes we get in our own way because we start to believe in our heads that people may accept or not accept or may appreciate or not appreciate. And then it creates roadblocks inside of our spiritual selves. And then we barricade ourselves from actually creating beautiful things. So know that it has to be a long-term thing. Focus on the work believe that the work is good. And if you don't believe that the work is good, it's okay to not mint it. There's nothing wrong with creating and shelving, creating and shelving. 
you know, uh, Robert Rodriguez is an incredible filmmaker. Rebel Without a Crew, he wrote a book called that. You know, Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Spy Kids. He said, look, everybody's got 10 bad movies in their system, so hurry up and make 10 bad movies so you can get to your career. Right, yeah. And the same thing applies with art. Start making mistakes. Start messing up. Start failing until you find your voice. So for me, in Spinema, I've been doing this for 20 years. I didn't just fall into producing spoken word films. I didn't fall into knowing how to make theatrical level films. It took decades of working and failing and making mistakes and learning how to hire the right DP and how to collaborate with people, how to communicate, how to delegate, how Mm, to, mm -hmm. you know, forge my steel. And so I really invite artists to forge your steel because once you have that knowing, you're unstoppable. Yeah, I love that because you're, you're, I mean, you're completely right. And I think it's a powerful message about even when you talked about finding the right people to bring alongside you, the ones that you can trust that can do the editing. And uh, so, so often people forget that uh, success is not usually done solo. A lot of times, even when you look at the best artists, the top paid NFT artists, they, they are a community. A lot of them have been helping and Um, promoting and working together as they've kind of created a platform from early in 2020 and some of them even before that. And so these, these people have been working together and it's like a lot of times I remind people on this show is instead of looking up, it's so easy to look up at where you want to be. But if you just look around, there's probably a lot of other people working just like you that you can find power in. And if you continue to uplift each other, like you talked about at the beginning, um, uh, you know, all ships rise with a higher tide. And it's so true, working together and building each other up, even if one person in your group continues to grow, it's going to continue to uplift everyone in that group that's been uh, working together. And I think we've start seeing that in sort of these new niche communities in the NFT space is w- the people that continue to build and work and grind, uh, see each potential in each other, and then they want to continue to help you out um, and help you up lift you on your journey as well that that's absolutely correct and and that's exact and that's why i love you know having conversations about this stuff because oftentimes someone needs to be reminded you know um i need to be reminded every day there's a lot of days that i spent with my head in my hands wondering what i'm going to do next and you know through my drops you know and shout out to huda who's in the audience here you know you know with the modern day minstrel for example you know, that was a, a, a series that sold out on Super Rare, but it's a series where I painted myself in blackface, you know, and I use vicious racist stereotypes against myself in these portraits to uncover the dark history of the minstrel show in America, which is the largest theater movement in U.S. history, where for 140 years, white actors painted themselves in blackface. It overtook opera and vaudeville and became Broadway, and a lot of people don't know about that, mm-hmm. but... I chose to put that series out to really uncover the dark history, and I lost a lot of sleep. And I felt at times very, very concerned. I had threats on my life on Twitter for, for this, for, you know, claiming that I was profiting off black trauma. And, you know, I can't even begin to tell you the stuff that I experienced from a, a, a public optical perspective. But I know my heart's in the right place. And I've always known that my heart continues to be in the right place. So insecurity and fear is going to be part of this thing, regardless of what level of artist you're at. And you hit it right on the head. Having an army of people around you 
that will remind you that what you're doing is the right thing, that will tell you that everything is okay. Each one, teach one is really, really important. And, you know, canoes row with community. And sometimes art and technology can be a very chaotic place. And because we're dealing with art, something that is so personal, it can really hurt our feelings or can really exalt us. Mm-hmm. And when our feelings get hurt, we need people around us that are going to lift us up and say, come on, let's keep going. And that's what I found in the NFT space is a really supportive um, tribe of human beings uh, that have always been there to to support what I do and, and what I work to do. And I try to do the same for other people. And I talked to you about this, and I just love your uh, social uh, mission in terms of the passion that you have about where we need to go in, in society and where we've come from. Because a lot of times, uh, you know, even in, in our textbooks, we we act like it's so long ago, but really it's, a, it's only a generation ago and it's still happening today. And I just love that you continue to bring that up. And I was, I've talked to you about this uh, in DMs, but I was a I was a public educator in the urban core for 12 years. And so it does hit home and seeing the two different lives that people really live in America is so stifling. And so, uh, and I think blockchain, there's been books about this, but Bitcoin and crypto is is really can be a, a kind of a leveling field of sorts when it comes to trying to get justice and not have to work through the convoluted uh, governments and agencies that are around that were kind of... Uh, rose up in times of ignorance and prejudice. And so I'd love for you to just talk about your how you also envision and see how blockchain can almost create a, a newer, equal or uh, level field playing field uh, for, you know, groups that have been discriminated against for years and years. Yeah, it's an important question, and um, you know, thanks for the uh, for the preface on that. I, I mean, one of the things that's really important to me, as I mentioned earlier, is really education. You know, onboarding people and educating people on the values of cryptocurrency and the underlying technology of the blockchain. It's incredibly vital that we open up our mouths, even when we don't want to, just to have a water cooler conversation with someone that might be on the fence, right? Because the only way that we're, that impoverished nations that um, underserved communities are going to be able to really reap the rewards of what we reap the rewards of is if they are onboarded um, in a way that they can understand. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's, you know, a masterclass, whether that's a, a public keynote conversation, uh, whether it's me posting about my NFTs on my Instagram page, which, you know, is a vast majority of my following are traditional Hollywood entertainment types. Right. But they see what I'm doing. And then I get a lot of DMs from normies and they ask me questions. And it's actually funny, Carl. I actually have a whole list of like to do's. I literally go, (laughs) I just copy and paste it to my friends and say, okay, do this first. And then let's have a strategic conversation once you've got the one on ones out of the way. Mm -hmm. Go to YouTube. What's an NFT? What's the blockchain? What's Ethereum? What's Bitcoin? You know, figure all that stuff out and then come to me with targeted questions. Um, But I go out of my way to make sure that we can onboard people. So, um, to wrap it up to your question is the more that we can educate, um, the better off we'll be and fine art and avatar art, PFP art, NFT art, and the NFT markets can and are already making impoverished people far wealthier than they ever thought possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's all a result of the blockchain because there's no middleman. It's peer to peer. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just it's so powerful, and you start seeing the stories, and I think they'll continue, and then it just it gives you hope and uh, vision for where the the future can go. Uh, and I, I mean, as also the this uh, this world, this metaverse world where you're an avatar, like no one knows really. You, you can't be judged on your identity if you're just an avatar as well. And I don't. I think that uh, is something that is crazy. Like I was just talking to uh, before the show, I had like a bored ape had come up for a question on a show one time, and it was actually a woman. Woman, and I said, uh, you know, I called her a him at first, but it's like when you don't know the person behind the screen except for an avatar too, it's like you can't judge, you can't create this preconceived notion of anyone except for the content of what they're putting out, the content of their character, which is always kind of the goal is being able to see someone for who they are instead of this label that has been given to them from years and years of historical negligence. And so I think that's another powerful aspect of like creating this metaverse world where we can continue to learn about one another for who we are and get to know each other's stories beyond just a picture uh, of who that person is and, and take time to get to know people. Uh, and I think that's a powerful experience that we're starting to see as well. And I'd love for you to kind of chat about where you see the metaverse going. I mean, you talked about even thinking about someone having a room that's just for the metaverse. I'd love for you to kind of talk about that a little more before we get into Community Corner. And if you have a question, make sure to hit that request button because after this, we'll go into Community Corner. Absolutely, man. I love what you just said, you know, content of your character. That reminds me of uh, a, a piece of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that one day my four little children will be able to live in a nation where they'll be not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. I have a dream mm -hmm. today. And it's absolutely true that colorism um, and um, oppression or judgment as it relates to societal structures and constructs don't exist um, as much in the NFT space. Because if you are behind an avatar, you made it very clear. You know, unless someone is doxxed, and I, me being a public figure, I am always doxxed, obviously, um, it sort of levels the playing field. And I really like that you touched on that. Um, you know, me being a public figure um, and being always David Bianchi, um, it's good and bad, right? because I have to be cautious about how I comport myself. I have to always try to be above board. I have to always be diplomatic, um, especially as it relates to the subject matter that I, that I speak of. You know, there's always someone that's trying to cut me at the ankles mm -hmm. um, at the same time where there are people trying to uplift me. Um, as it relates to your question about the metaverse, I absolutely believe that um, we are still in the dial-up America online phases of NFTs uh, and blockchain, and that um, metaversal experiences are going to be so tethered to who we are as human beings as much as cell phones are tethered to us right now. You know, Elon Musk said, basically, we're already cyborgs, mm -hmm. you know, cell phones are literally an extension of us right now. Right. What he's trying to do with Neuralink, for example, is he's trying to open up the highway from phone to mind and frontal lobe membrane execution of thought. Right. Because we're fundamentally and exponentially smarter with our phones in our hands. If I need to know, 
you know, what's the molecular weight of steel? I can figure that out by asking my phone. So how does he make that roadway faster by putting something in the brain that will allow you to, to access that, that information quicker, right? Yeah. That's crazy to think about that, but that is coming. And so if those things are coming, I believe that the highway, as it were, as a metaphor, we can use that same, that, that same metaphor to describe what will happen with the metaverse. Right now, the highway is very narrow and very thin between the physical world and the virtual world because we're experiencing it still through desktops or laptops or maybe the one and so oftentimes through an Oculus, which is still a little clunky. Eventually, I don't know how exactly, but there will be a time where the integration between the physical and the virtual will literally be like an eye blink away mm -hmm. or something as fast as a, sneaker, a finger snap away where maybe that neural link is already in your mind and maybe that neural link is the membrane between the physical and the virtual. Uh, maybe it's, you know, something far more advanced than Google glasses, but it will be some sort of uh, infrastructure or some sort of hardware that will bring you into the, the metaversal experience. But again, I fall back to Ready Player One. There are incredibly smart um, futurists that worked on that movie that have an understanding of what the world might look like. Um, and escapism is what we look for sometimes, you know? That's why we go to these big tentpole movie theaters. That's why we go to see the Marvel movies. That's why we go to see movies like Avatar. Um, why we go to like dome experiences, for example. Why we take LSD, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like people are always looking for an escapism and the metaverse is going to serve that. But not just at an entertainment level, at a porn level, um, at a at a at a at a at a workplace level, as Facebook is trying to do, mm -hmm. um, you know, and and as far as NFTs, that's going to be involved in everything. Why can't you track your blood type, your medical records, your legal documents, your 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 VIN number, and the and the history of your car's health through uh, metadata on the blockchain, right? Um, so I think NFTs will also be integrated into everything that we do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it is funny hearing you talk about that because I've talked on this show a couple of times, you know, when you think about the gold rush and in the infrastructure of just our country in America, just over a couple hundred years, how the infrastructure changed from just grassland to, you know, everything being built from infrastructure to buildings. And now you, even if you've lived for, you know, 20, uh, 30 years in the same place, you can kind of see it happen. And it's just like that when it comes to, you know, the metaverse, it's still seems so bare while walking around in Decentraland or, you know, some of these places, but in a hundred years, they're just going to be packed full and they're going to look like cities. And it's just, it, it just makes you think like people are going to look back at these times and be like, wow, there were so many opportunities. And it's just so cool that we're all here creating this from the ground up, uh, in, in being able to create a better world. Um, so I love that insight. Okay, we're going to turn to a couple questions. We have a couple people requesting to come up. So let's turn to Community Corner uh, and get a couple people up here to ask their questions to you. Hey, shout out to shout out to Betty right here. Yes. It's time for you to take the stage for another segment of Community Corner. Sorry, I cut you off with that segue. David. Oh, I, I didn't realize it was coming. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. All right. I brought uh, Chronic Cats up. Chronic Cats, uh, this is your first time on stage, but uh, I've seen you at the show a lot. Thank you for being here. Go ahead. Hey, I appreciate it. So earlier you had mentioned onboarding. Um, I was kind of curious on your thoughts on how crucial it is to get uh, children involved in the NFT community as early as possible. Yeah, that's a guaranteed yes, 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 and yes. Um you know, we're, we're only going to be here for so long. 
and we have to pass on this information. So a perfect example of this is that the the ideal window to learn language is between six and 12. Those are your formative years. So I'll give you an example. I learned to speak Spanish. Now, I'm not Hispanol. I'm from Brazil. So we speak Portuguese. I learned to speak Spanish when I was raised in Mexico City from 8 to 13. Five years during my formative years. To this day, I still speak Spanish fluently without an accent. I go to Spanish countries and people think I'm Cuban, straight up. That's because I learned in my formative years. So I think it's incredibly important that we bring uh, children that are in their formative years into uh, the advances and the abilities and the potential of the blockchain, you know, because they are literally going to be the future captains to fly these ships. You know, there's going to be a day where those young people will look back at us and be like, oh, yeah, they, you know, they still used to like burn gas. You know, there'll yeah. be a day where combustible engines won't exist on the road, right? There'll be a day where, you know, people will go to theme parks to drive cars. Yo, what did you do last week? Oh, I mean, I went to this park and I drove a car, I squealed the tires, it was dope, right? Because autonomous driving will be everywhere. So I think it's absolutely fundamental that we do that. And, but then, then we lie into the question of, okay, well, censorship and the internet, you know, and it's like, how do you control what your children see and what they don't see? That's a different conversation, but to, to answer your question upright, I think the answer is absolutely yes. And a huge shout out to Chronic Cats because he, him and his wife and his daughter are in the space, and I think it's awesome that you uh, continually are pushing that. It makes me think I have a two-year-old that you just you just constantly thinking about how to uh, prepare them for this in the new world because that, like uh, David said, we are uh, we are kind of helping foster them, and uh, and I know David, you're pretty close, and you are. Um, uh, you're a big fan of Gary Vee, and he talks about, you know, leaning into technology as well. And a lot of people over the last decade are, have fought back or said, you know, you don't want technology to take over. But instead of that, push it, lean into it and, and continually try to find how we can use it to create and build uh, and don't let it consume you, but let it be a tool for you. And I think that's a, a powerful difference, too. Exactly. Look, Bob Marley has a great line in one of his songs. He says, have no fear for atomic energy, because none of them can stop the times. Okay, so if you know you can't stop it, move with it, right? Fighting societal trends is only going to stunt your growth. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we prove it all the time that bureaucracy doesn't move as fast as ideas, you know, which is why the normies can't keep up with us. Um and why bureaucracy is still trying to catch up. But trends are going to happen, and I think it's absolutely vital to lean into technology because technology makes our lives better. Yeah, It really does. You know, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, I love Shout it. out. Nice to, meet, nice to meet you, Chronic. That was a great question. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, too. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming up. Um, okay, we'll have one more question that was uh, posted. Uh, I think this uh, dopeness is a... Uh, common frequent a member of the show he may be listening to the podcast because he's not in here right now but he said as an actor in award-winning shows how do you see the nft world evolving for actors in the rest of the film industry well that's yet to be seen um you know i'm definitely testing the waters uh, some of you may or may not know that um my my most recent uh film spin em a drop um is the first ever film to have a red carpet premiere in the metaverse so what that means is we 
completely converted the Maker's Place gallery into a screening room, created a red carpet experience of paparazzi avatars. And you can go there right now. I invite everybody go to Decentraland, go to the Maker's Place gallery and walk the red carpet. And as soon as you walk in, the, the curtains will open and you'll be able to watch Break the Bars in the metaverse in its entirety. And then right after it, um, you can watch a director's commentary where I talk about camera psychology and different choices I made as a director. Uh, take a hard left and another left in there and then you can get a Pope. Um, we ended up minting over 1,500 proof of attendance protocols on that premiere, which is mind-blowing. So where it lands at this point is unfortunately going to be um, cruxed by the technology because you know, from a collector's perspective, if I'm going to collect an NFT of a film, I'd like to know everything that I'm collecting. Because to mint a thumbnail, but then connect three gigabytes of a feature film to an IPFS, that doesn't really serve the sales process, right? Um, unless it's like Clint Eastwood or something like that, right? Or somebody incredibly marquee, Ben Affleck or somebody incredibly marquee. But from an independent filmmaker's perspective, I think we have a long time to go. The technology has to catch up with the ideas. Um, but I do believe that it is absolute guarantee that it's going to land. I will say this. There are already platforms right now that I know of that are already building that are going to be live performance driven. There are already platforms right now that are minting live performances. So why wouldn't there be a day where actors can mint a monologue where, um, you know, as a filmmaker, for example, you know, if I decided to produce a feature film for the blockchain, which the talks are already happening, I have a. I have a proof of work so people would buy into me. So maybe I can mint um, 96 pages of a screenplay and mint 96 NFTs and each NFT is one page of the script. So rather than like owning a piece of the profits of the film per se, you would own one page of the screenplay. So as the film blows up, then obviously the one of one NFTs, which would be one page to one, one of one, and then each screenplay page could unlock something, right? And then maybe the NFT could be a smart NFT that as the film releases, you might actually get an unlockable video that's associated with the pages that you own. So you can sort of like watch your pages come to life in real time as you bought the NFT. So these are all different ideas that I'm playing with on how to create an experiential, an experiential medium even more experiential in the metaverse and through NFT technology. Um, but the more people that are thinking about it, the more people that are sitting around the campfire, the more ideas will go and grow. And I'm happy to throw these ideas out freely because I'm a fountain of ideas. I'm never going to run out. Um, and, and you know, it's like the four-minute mile, right? Once somebody runs a four-minute mile, then there's a couple guys that came after them and ran the four-minute mile. So um, I, I, I think it's, it's a great place, and I invite anybody who's an actor or a filmmaker or entertainment person to not be afraid of this. You know, I've proven that you don't have to be uh, a iPad artist to be successful in this space. You know, mm -hmm. you just have to believe in yourself and have great art. Yeah, and I think we're going to continue to see that. And as you, as you've in this space, you're a pioneer with uh, doing film and short film. And I'm sure, like you said, it'll continue to grow. But I just love that you're here. I love talking about different aspects of where the tech can go, and you're innovating in a new way. Just like uh, reminds me of back in February and March, people were wondering if photography would ever make it, and now we're seeing multi-million-dollar uh, pieces that are being sold on at major major auction houses uh, of NFT photography, and it's just going to be the same, probably looking back at these conversations about film and uh, connections to film and big, big entertainment industry 
kind of leaking their way into the ideas of the NFT world. And, and thanks to you and other pioneers that are thinking about these things now, uh, how you can continue to innovate and you being a major uh, influencer in Hollywood and being around the entertainment industry is just uh, also equally as helpful. So thank you so much for all, all that you do and bring to the community. And it's so it's uh, been an amazing hour that's flown by just chatting about um, tech, the blockchain and NFTs and the metaverse and, and uh, films. And so thank you so much for stopping by and hanging out with us today. Yeah, it was a, it was a pleasure, man. Uh, Carl, I really, um, I'm super grateful that you reached out and I look forward to growing. And if there's any way that I can be of service to what you're doing, please, please don't hesitate to reach out and, and anyone, I hope that uh, people are inspired by anything that they heard today. And, uh, you know, make today a good day, you know, GM, GN, and we're all going to make it. And, you know, but take that positivity out to the real world, you know, right. hold the door for some hold the door for somebody today. It's amazing. You know? And it's, it's so cool to see how the, the trickle effect is playing into real life. I just saw someone today post, uh, I think $200 of Starbucks vouchers that they just let anyone that was following them, that's been following them saw and could order a drink with their barcode. And just that kind of generosity and spirit is just like what encompasses this space. And I just thought that was like a beautiful way to, to kind of encapsulate just how kind people are in the nft world yo absolutely man and it's um it's important that we realize that it's a gift to work in the concentration of wealth that's here mm -hmm. so it's also important to give it away yeah. you know that's so true. And as we continue to grow, I think this chat is going to be on my mind and hopefully on others, because like you said, giving back and helping educate and helping onboard people as busy as we get, those need to be things that we're thinking about. Because as we get established uh, and in this space, then we can go back. And I've always had a goal to kind of bring education, financial education back into the schools that I've, I've worked with. And so building in this space can help, you know, leak into other aspects of our life where we have vision and passion and so not to forget that and I think that's a powerful message for anyone as we grow in this space is always remembering where we came from who's important to us and make sure that we're always giving back and making sure everyone is uh, being uplifted in the space and never to get too greedy amen to that you know I <laughs> I, I, I I produced a movie with Danny Trail once and he said um if you guys probably know Danny Trejo is, uh, Machete. He said, you know, everything that I have that's good in my life is a direct result of helping somebody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I find that to be true. And, and the NFT community is proof of that. Yeah, it's so true. And I think this community is where uh, it's so it, it, people say it, but what you give in this space uh, ultimately comes back to you. And I think that's just a, uh, that means that we're in the right community because that's the kind of world we want to live in. So Thank you again, David, and we're going to uh, run it to the outro here. I'll just give you that heads up. This has been another production of Guttercat Studios. All conversations with Crazy Carl are for educational purposes only. You should never take financial advice from a cat or anybody, really, especially financial advisors. Take control of your own financial future and do your own research always. That's all for now. Until next time, we'll see you in the metaverse. <laughs>